How are you out there? You look good. Even spread out, you look good. You know, when you don't look good, it's easy to hide among people who look good. It's worth a try. Let's get our Bibles out tonight. We are in Hebrews chapter 11, working our way through the Hall of Fame of Faith. And uh, tonight, we're not going to cover a person per se, although we've been taking the time to investigate the character and the nature and the exploits of each person listed here. Uh, we find ourselves with a few verses here, 13 through 16, uh, that are a little bit of a breath for us between uh, talking about people. But there's some important things here, and I don't want to miss them. I don't want to gloss over them. So we're going to thank God for the word, and then I'm going to read you verses 13 through 16 of chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. Father, tonight we thank you that we are your children, that you have called us out of darkness into the light. Father, we're thankful for the light that comes to us through the word of God. Father, for these people that we're looking at here in the Hall of Fame of Faith, Father, each one of them has a life lesson to teach us. Father, tonight as we consider these verses 13 through 16, Holy Spirit, open up the text to us and allow us to receive the gems and the deposits that you tucked in there for, for those who seek you with their whole heart. Father, the casual seeker, you do not reveal yourself to, but to those who search for you with their whole heart, you reveal yourself. And so tonight we bring our hearts before you and we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth of these verses. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 13, Hebrews chapter 11. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles in the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they could have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call, be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I almost feel like reading that again because there is so much in there. How about just close your eyes and listen to it. Don't look at anything. Just let the words from the scripture sink in. All these died in faith without receiving the promises but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they could have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Powerful, powerful text tonight that we're going to look at here. So far, we've looked at people who had faith that God counted in such a way that he put them in what we call the Hall of Fame of Faith in chapter 11 here. We looked at Abel, who offered a sacrifice that caught God's attention. We looked at Enoch, who walked with God so close, God didn't allow him to taste death. He just caught him up into the heavens. We looked at Abraham, who is the father of the Jewish nation, who, despite all the mountains and obstacles of age and uh, time passing, saw the promise of God 
come to bear in his life. Then we talked about Sarah, Abraham's wife, and all the exploits she did and how she maintained her faith and how God brought the nation of Israel literally through the womb of a 90-year-old woman. Wow. Now the text makes a point about their faith, and we need to be aware of it. Verse 13 when it starts, may almost seem like a bucket of cold water in the face. It's talking about all of these that were just mentioned. We talked about some of them. But all of these died in faith without receiving the promises. See, without. Nobody likes to be without. Nobody likes to hope for something that doesn't come to pass or that they don't get to see with their eyes. Isn't that true? In fact, the Bible says, Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. That's one of my favorite scriptures, especially when I'm waiting for something. Lord, do you remember this scripture? Yeah, yeah, I remember it. Could we hurry up? No, I'm not done with you yet. Keep waiting. And so there's this thing of hoping and waiting and receiving. And this text starts off by saying all of these died in faith, without receiving the promises. When the text says all of these, it's certainly referencing all those in the uh, Hall of Fame of Faith here. It's certainly referencing Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah. Yes, absolutely. But the point is this. It also implies that all of us can expect to leave this life with some unfinished business. Did this come as a shock? No, I thought I'm going to have to, you know, get all my loose ends in order, say goodbye to everyone, you know, um, make, uh, you know, restitution for things I've done. And, you know, if there's people that I have issues with, we're going to settle all that. And then I'm going to go on my deathbed in my sleep and it's going to be just perfect. I'm here to tell you, after almost 30 years of ministry, it rarely works out that way. All of us can expect to die with some unfinished business, with some unfulfilled dreams, with some promises that were made to us that didn't come to pass while we drew breath in this world. And we need to think about that because I think sometimes we have expectations and we put expectations on God and we think, you know, certainly all these people in the Hall of Fame of Faith, they were so great, they were so good. God, you're giving them honorable mention here. You mean to tell me these people died without receiving the promises that you made to them? Now, the question that arises from that is this, and it needs to be answered. Does God make promises he doesn't keep? Now, all of us are going, no, no, because that's the right answer for us to say at Bible study on Wednesday night. But can we just be honest for a moment and we feel like sometimes, man, this ain't going to happen. Or like, God, you said this was going to happen. It didn't look like that, that's the way it turned out. Many times we have doubts about whether or not God's going to keep the promise. Sometimes we wait so long, we think maybe God didn't even say that. Maybe I misread it or I misunderstood it or, or I heard what I wanted to hear. Come on tonight. And you see, we've got to answer the, these questions here about, you know, God saying about these people who were, you know, top tier in the Hall of Fame of Faith. And he said they died without receiving the promises. So, you know, it implies that we need to understand, you know, some things about the promises of God. Not knowing the answer to this question can make us angry and it can, make, it can disrupt our faith. 
If, if we really think that God promised something and he didn't come through, you know, and, and he said it, but he, he had no intention of doing it, that's going to disrupt our faith. That's going to make us angry at God. You know, we realize that we're, there is a God and we are not him. So in a sense, we are, you know, we are at his mercy. If he just says, well, you know, uh, promise is off. You know, I, I don't like you anymore. You're, you're getting on my nerves. Or the word applies to everybody but you because you did this and now you're disqualified. See, we've got to have the answer to some of these questions. Knowing the answer to these questions insulate us from getting disillusioned and, and having our faith shaken up and even getting angry with God. You know, there's, there's multitudes of people who know Jesus, who have been raised in church, but they're not here and they're not in fellowship with God. Why? Because they're angry at him. Because things in their life didn't turn out the way they wanted them to or the way they expected God would have them turn out. And so they're, now they're angry and, and they're estranged from God. The first thing we need to understand about the promises of God is we need to know exactly what God promised, not what we, we wanted him to promise. Do you, ever, do you ever notice sometimes people hear what they want to hear when you say something? And you say something very clear, you choose your words very carefully, but come on, married people, but they don't get what you said. We have an exercise we do with the premarital couples and stuff, uh, active listening, right? You, you say something to your spouse, they repeat it back, and it usually takes four or five tries before it works. You know, no, that's not what I said. I said this, repeat it back to me. You repeat it back. It's like the telephone game. It's, it's crazy. It's fun to watch. But we've got to, when it comes to the promises of God, we've got to know what God said, what he did promise us, not what we wanted him to promise us or what we would hope. Are you getting me? Because God always keeps his promises, and if he says it, he does it. But he doesn't do whatever we think in our minds, all jumbled up and twisted up. He does what he says he's going to do. Also, there's this component of our lifetime sometimes is the only thing we, we know. And we think everything that God said or willed or purposed has to happen in our lifetime or it's, it didn't happen. I, I have news for all of us. When we're dead and gone, the purpose and plans of God will still continue. He will still bring to pass things that he said he would do. He'll do them in his way, in his perfect timing. But it's not like there's a deadline. God, you know, I'm getting old. You got to hurry up here. You know, Sarah was feeling that way. I'm 90. Hello. Know one more thing about God's promises. They are always bigger than you and I. Oh, no, it's all about me, Pastor. The world revolves around me, and all the promises have to happen so I can see them. And in my lifetime, no, God's promises are bigger than us. When God promises something, it's not just for us. It's in the tapestry of his master plan, and it all gets worked out. Listen, what God promised to Abraham had implications and fulfillments in his son Isaac. And what God promised Isaac was fulfilled in his son Jacob. And what God promised to Jacob was fulfilled in his 10 sons, uh, 12 sons, right? 12 tribes of Israel, that whole Joseph thing messes me up a little bit. So do you see how 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. One promise that started with Abraham, but was fulfilled long after Abraham was gone in his sons and his grandsons and in the nation of Israel. He never got to see his descendants be more numerous than the sands of the seashore on this side of heaven. But for sure, it happened just as God said. So notice three things about the servants mentioned here. Uh, I want you to... I want you to listen to this. It says here that they what? They died in faith. Now, that's, that's an interesting way to die. <laughs> you know, and, and there's a reason that, you know, this is the faith chapter. They're talking about these guys uh, passing away and the fact that they died in faith. You know, all of these died in faith without receiving the promise. So let's take a look at the first thing here. They died in faith. What, what are the implications of that? Now, we can have you know, bursts of faith that happen throughout our life. <laughs> you know, one minute, you know, I'm, I believe God and I hear God and I'm serving God and I, I know the promises of God and I'm claiming them, I'm standing on the word and then all of a sudden we go into a dry place and we, we, we get lukewarm and we backslide and I'm not saying you guys, not the Wednesday night crowd, but you know, those other people who aren't here tonight. But, you know, there are people who kind of go through this roller coaster Christianity, you know, a peak and, and it's a burst of faith and then the low times and then doubt and unbelief and then a burst of faith. Now, we can do that in life, but that's, you know, at the end of our life, we want to die in faith. Amen. A lot of us have, you know, hard patches in between. That's life. It's that, it's that cyclical experience of mountaintop and valley, mountaintop and valley. That's why the Bible says from faith to faith, amen? So we have these little bursts and we, we, we have these dry moments, but we want to keep the faith till the end so that we die in faith. Because when we die in faith, we fall right into the arms of Jesus, expecting the promises to be fulfilled, and they will be. What a sad position for a Christian to be in, to walk with God for decades, but at the end of their life to just lose the faith, become lukewarm, to walk away from the things of God. That's not finishing the race well. That's not fighting the good fight, amen? So this concept of dying in faith, you know, uh, is something that we have to realize. This is a long-haul thing. It's not a short burst. It's not a, a fleeting moment. It's we're doing this for the long haul. We're keeping the faith, Amen. Notice where their focus was. But having seen and welcomed them, what? The promises. Having seen and welcomed them from a distance. So understand these people that were mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith, they didn't see the full promise of God fulfilled in their time of life. But what were they doing? They were looking forward. Right? You got to get this. What do I always say in the Old Testament? You got saved by looking forward to the cross. Amen? And God counted it as righteousness for them, that they believed him, that they offered him, that they, they approached him, that they believed in his goodness, and he allowed them to look forward to the cross so they could be saved. Now in the New Testament, we look back to the cross. Blessed are those who believe and do not see. I didn't see Jesus do miracles. I didn't, I didn't walk with him. I didn't sup with him. I didn't like John lay my head on his breast and just hang out with him. Did you? So we believe and we haven't seen. We look back to the cross. They looked forward to the cross. They died in faith and their focus was on what was ahead of them. Notice that. 
They weren't focusing on the past. They weren't focusing on just the now. Well, you know, this is all I possess. If Abraham just focused on the now for all those years, I got no babies. I got no children. I got a wrinkled up wife. I'm wrinkled up. I got nothing. So if he's focusing just on this, how long do you think you can maintain your faith if that's your focus? He had to look ahead. He had to look to, to the promise of God. He had to look and what? And, and receive the promises from a distance. That, that's, what, that's what I'm trying to get across here is that you and I need to stop looking at the past. Any takers? Man, the past is like, you know, you can't drive safely looking in your rearview mirror all the time. You got to give it a glimpse once at a time. You know, look, look who's, you know, what's going on. But you got to look ahead. So we can't be focused on the past. We've got to, what, welcome them from a distance. I like that. They looked ahead to the cross. We look ahead to the promise of God coming to pass. You say, Pastor, are we going to be here, you know, for the end of the times and, the, and, and, the, and these things happen in Ezekiel 38? Are we going to see the Antichrist? Are we going to get raptured? Is it going to be pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib? Listen, we got to look ahead. And whatever is going to occur is going to occur, but you and I have to be careful not to miss it, that we live in faith, we walk in faith, and we die in faith. Come on, Wednesday night, give me some sugar. Come on. Looks like a wax museum out there. We get a mirror out there, see if some people are breathing. So here we go, focusing on uh, our faith at a distance, not just looking at what we possess currently, because at moments that can be depressing. A third thing I want to say about where the servants of God mentioned here, you know, one of the things is that notice they really were in the world, but not of the world. We like to say that, right? We're in the world, but not of the world. Look what it says here. Having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That's basically expressing that New Testament concept of being in the world, but not of the world. They're like, hey, I'm here, and I'm walking around in the desert, and I got sand in places I don't want to talk about, but this is not my home. When Abraham was walking around, he's like, well, now, where's that place? Where, you know, where is it? You know, I'm a, it's got to be, you know, hopefully there's some trees. In there. No, it wasn't an earthly dwelling that he was looking for. He left Ur. And he wasn't going back there. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But he, he wasn't looking for something, you know, just a nicer spot on earth. He considered himself, what, a stranger and an exile. And he lived that way. He was nomadic. He wandered around from place to place. And God's like, yeah, everywhere your foot touches, that's yours. But none of it's yours now. It's going to be your descendants. So he had the promise, and he saw it to a degree, but he didn't receive the fullness of it in this life. That's the point of this text here, and it's something that you and I have to understand. Strangers and exiles. Listen, if we feel completely comfortable and in sync with this world, we need a heart check. More and more as the polarizing forces of darkness and light push the two poles apart, the more I feel out of step and out of sync with this world. And I hope you do too. If you are comfortable, I hear people, oh, well, it's going to be okay, and it's good, and, it's, and I'm, I'm fine with this, and I'm fine with that. I hear people in the world, I'm fine with this, and I'm fine with that, and it's okay. And when the Antichrist comes, you're going to love him too. 
but not for us. Not for me. There are going to be some people sitting in churches that get left behind, who are just playing church, who are not seeking the Lord, who are not really born again, who, who aren't praying, who aren't watching for his coming. But, you know, as for me in my house, as for me in this house, I want us all to be ready. And they had this attitude that they were strangers and exiles here. Do we really feel that way or do we feel really at home in the world? We need to examine ourselves. John 2.15 and John 15.19, uh, 1 John 2.15 and John 15, 19, I want to read those to you. And they really show us why we shouldn't be comfortable with the world. First John 2, 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow. That's, that's heavy, isn't it? I mean, I like some things about earth. Do you? I like, any, anybody like the beach? Oh, yeah. yeah, right about now I could use some beach. Anybody like the, the mountains and the rivers and the ocean? I mean, it's awesome. The, what God made is awesome. I like it, but I don't love it. And the older I get and the closer I get to him, the more I yearn to be with him. And there's really nothing here that I'm like, oh, I want to stay behind. You know, when you're young, you're like, oh, I want to stay behind until I get married. And then you get married and go, well, oh, don't come back yet, Jesus. I want to have a few kids. And then you're married and you have kids and you're like, come quickly, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Just telling the truth on Wednesday night. Right? People, I mean, what is it in life that people cling to? Man. Love not the world, neither the things of the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. John 15, 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world is not supposed to love us. The world is not supposed to love the gospel we preach. You say, well, that, that just sounds weird to me. You know, I just thought, you know, maybe if we soften it up or maybe if we, you know, sugar it up a little bit, maybe they'll be able to, no, we can't water it down. We got to preach it like it is. And, and a lot of people in the world, they hate the church and the gospel and scripture and the things we believe in and the things we stand for. Jesus said they hated me, they're going to hate you. Some people are really uncomfortable with that. In fact, they'll deny Christ, they'll walk away from the faith to go back into the world so they can be accepted because they can't take the heat of being out of step with everything around them. It's a parable of the seed. The seed springs up, it gets scorched. When persecution comes, they quit. And we've all seen it. But that, that's not our testimony. That's not for us, amen? I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I'm running this race to the finish. I want to die in faith. I want to keep the faith. And I, I don't want to love the world. I want to love the Father. I, I don't want to be accepted by the world. I don't want to twist and bend and, and morph and excuse sin and so, so that the world will love me. Now, I'm sure, you know, most of us who are normal and bathe and brush our teeth, people like us feel you out there i'm not saying we go around and creating trouble for ourselves but those who are really hardcore in the world are going to be out of sync with us and we're going to be abrasive to them and they're not going to like what we stand for that's just the way it is 
I got a lot of friends who aren't saved, and I'm working on them, I'm praying for them, I'm living in front of them, but yet when it comes down to it, there's a little awkwardness between us. You feel it? Well, when I'm with my brothers and sisters in Christ, there's none of that. I could meet someone, they're a Christian, within 10 minutes, it feels like we've known each other our whole lives. But yet there's an awkwardness with the world, and that's that's something that we have to understand is normal and natural, and it really is a proof that we belong to Christ because they hated him, and they're not going to like us. Verse 14 says, For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country that is not their own. See, and that was Abraham at the core. He left what he knew, and he went where God led him, and he was seeking something more than what was in this world. He was seeking something otherworldly. When we agree with the Scripture, uh, and we get this heart that Abraham had, we, our identity and our citizenship proves the depth of our faith. I, I'm in the world. I live here, but I'm not of here. I'm, I'm going to do what God's called me to do while I am here, but more and more, as we see the day approaching and as we get older in the Lord, we need to focus on what's coming ahead, amen, to look ahead. Sometime very soon, all of us are going to be in heaven. Now, you know, I'm going to live forever. I drink, I drink beet juice and carrot juice. All of us are going to die. He might come soon enough and take the church home one shot, boom. And we're with him, amen? So we've got to start focusing not on the temporary, but the eternal. And that's what Abraham was seeking, a country that was, you know, not of this world. It was otherworldly. Jesus expressed this concept perfectly as it pertained to his own life and even to the lives of those who would follow him. Listen to John 18, 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Wow. Jesus is saying, hey, Pontius Pilate, hey, Sadducees and Pharisees and Sanhedrin, hey, high priest, if I want, even when I'm on the cross, I can call legions of angels to snuff you out like a little candle. But my kingdom's not of this world. Jesus didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom. He came to die for sinners like you and I. And so his kingdom's not of this world, and our kingdom is not of this world. It's of the next world, amen? What kingdom are you fighting to establish yourself in? What kingdom are you focused on? What kingdom are you trying to obtain an inheritance in? Well, it's quiet now. I got my stocks. I got my portfolio. I got my 401k. Nothing wrong with that. Got my retirement package. Nothing wrong with that. But are we really storing up treasures here on earth? Or are we storing up treasures in heaven? <laughs> Come on, I don't want to live in a cardboard box when I get to heaven. I don't want to be the only poor one in heaven, Amen i got to store up treasures in heaven. How do you do that? You focus on the next world and you, you live this life to sow into your future, into your eternity. Uh, there's a place in Scripture where someone talks about obtaining a better resurrection, Paul says. Let that penetrate your heart. 
Jesus expressed that concept. I'm not of this world. My, my followers are not of this world. We're not fighting to establish ourselves here. We're sojourners. We're just passing through, amen? Uh, Philippians 3, 20 through 21 settles the question about our citizenship for eternity. Philippians 3, 20 through 21 says this, for our citizenship is in heaven. That's pretty clear, isn't it? We don't need to do a Greek word study right there. Our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our lowly condition. Oh, my lowly body. And conform it into his glorious body by the exertion of the power that has even been subject to all things in himself. So there's this idea of, yeah, this is not our kingdom. It's another kingdom. This is not my body. I'm going to exchange this one for a heavenly body, for a glorified body. Anybody ready to trade in your body? Anybody over 35? You know, we have something to look forward to as Christians. We don't think much about heaven. We don't think much about being in his presence. We don't think much about shedding this earth suit and getting free from it. Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of sin? Oh, my flesh. It, it just, Paul says, the, I, I, I can't do what I want to do, but I do the things I, I hate. Why? Because of this. You ain't buying what I'm selling tonight, are you? No, I want to keep this for as long as, no. Listen, what, there's nobody in heaven complaining. I want to go back down. There's a, a glorified condition, a glorified body. Now, to me, the human body is so incredible. I, I, you know, I'm a student of it. I study physiology and, and biology, and I, I love these things that God made. I, I think the, the human body is incredible, just the eye, how he designed the eye. He made it from dust. God made all this from dirt, and he breathed the breath of life into it. And became a living soul. I think the human body is incredible. But here the text is telling us that it's lowly in comparison to what awaits us. Who will transform the body of our lowly condition into conformity with his glorious body. We can look forward to heaven, to eternity, to a glorified body, to no more tears, to no more pain, to no more fear, to no more thinking that I'm not going to make it. Amen. Hey, a couple Christians here. Praise God. Man, do you realize, I, I think about this a lot. In heaven, you know, on earth, we're always scared, you know, and just being transparent, man, I, I hope I make it. I hope sin doesn't snatch me. I hope I don't go backslide. You know, there's that insecurity of, you know, it's kind of like being engaged but not married. You know, engaged couples act a lot differently than married couples. You know, when you're engaged, you're on your best behavior. You're trying to, you know, you don't make certain bodily noises. You're, you're, you get married, man, it all, everything just... Once we're there and we're saved and it's settled and we're in the presence of God, then we're going to understand what Jesus meant by it is finished. Verse 15 is a reminder that looking back, going back, or backsliding is a very real possibility, and it indicates that our faith is in trouble. Uh, you know, all of these had an opportunity to go back, and that's, that's an interesting concept that we would, you know, we would think that, you know, all these great 
people in the Hall of Fame of Faith and these are, you know, are heroes of the faith, really, that, you know, certainly they wouldn't have quit. Certainly they wouldn't have went back. But look at verse 16 says, but as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So it says in 15, and indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. You know, think about it. Abraham came from Ur. I'm sure he could have went back to Ur. I'm sure he wanted, I'm sure he thought about it at times. I'm sure there was times that Sarah wanted to send him back to Ur. Go visit your family. Abraham had an opportunity to go back, but he didn't want to. How about Noah? Noah could have just stopped preaching. A hundred years of preaching, not one convert. Noah could have just quit building the ark. I'm done. I'm done, God. I'm tired. You know, I'm aching, painting. People are complaining. They're all making fun of me. No one's coming, you know, to the gospel I'm preaching. I quit. He could have went back to whatever Noah was doing before God told him to build an ark. How about Sarah? Sarah went through all that waiting and anxiety and barrenness. She went through all of that, you know, and, and there was one point where she got snatched up into uh, Pharaoh's harem because her husband said, tell them you're my sister so they don't kill me. You remember we were talking about this? She could have just said to Abraham, I'm staying in Pharaoh's harem. Have a nice life, brother. What I'm trying to show you here is everybody has a, you know, a way to, to back out, to escape, to, to backslide, to quit. There's always an opportunity for those things. The devil makes sure that we have many opportunities to abort the mission, the plan of God, to abandon our devotion to God. And he makes it real easy to go back into the world. There's a clear path. I see it all the time. People come, they accept Christ, they start to grow a little bit, then it gets hard, or they get disappointed, or they think God didn't keep the, the promise he made to them, and they go right back into the world. And as quick as they left, they go right back in, and they're doing all the stuff they got delivered from instantly. It's easy to backslide. It's easy to quit. It's easy to go back. But if you think it's not dangerous, just ask Lot's wife. In Genesis 19, Lot was taken out of the city. Fire and brimstone was coming. The angels had to hustle him out. And Lot's wife looked back at the city, and she turned into a pillar of salt. Looking back will destroy us spiritually. Listen to what is said here in Luke 9, 61 and 62. It says... Others also said, I will follow you. This is people coming to Jesus, telling him they want to be his disciple. I will follow you, Lord, but first, permit me to say goodbye to those at my home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Looking back, backsliding, turning back, quitting, you know, sitting on the bleachers, going back into the world, all that stuff proves our faith is is shaky and that we're unfit for the kingdom. Now, I got to be honest with you. There's a part of me and probably all of us that feels unfit for the kingdom. Anyone humble enough to admit that? Amen. Oh, Jesus is lucky to have me. I'll tell you, Pastor. No, sometimes I'm like, Jesus, I'm sorry. This is what you got to work with. But uh, 
there's a part of all of us that feels if we're humble and if we really know him and we see his glory and we realize how patient he is with us, yeah, we're unfit for the kingdom. But the point that's being made here is, is looking back and, and wanting to quit and wanting to, you know, just throw in the towel. The enemy is behind all of that and, and it, it, it destroys people's faith and it makes them unfit for the kingdom. So there's got to be no quit in us. Abraham could have went back to Ur, but he was looking for something different. I'm going to close down here. Verse 16 is the exercising of our faith uh, that we can exercise our faith in such a way that it makes God proud of us. How many are interested in that? You know, there's some people who, you know, I've heard kids say to parents, I don't care if you're proud of me. I'm going to do what I want. I get it. I understand. But you know what? I could never see myself saying that to God. I want, I want God to be proud of me. I'm sure you do too. I want him to look at me and smile. I don't want to look at me and say, bring me the, the Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> There's a way to exercise our faith here that makes God proud of us. And this is something that, you know, we, we should really be focused on. It says, but as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. So basically, the, the ending text there that we're covering tonight is telling us we can live in such a way that God looks down and said, I'm proud to be your heavenly father because of your faith. It, that, that should be staggering to your mind. But you know what? We hate the flip side of that truth because the flip side of that truth is that that means we can behave in such a way that God is ashamed to be our God. You've got to run scriptures in reverse sometimes. If we can live a certain way and God is proud of us, then we can do certain things that God is ashamed of us. If he's saying the way these guys exercise their faith may be proud to be their God, there's multitudes of people who say they're Christians who are exercising their faith where they're more in the world than they're in the kingdom of God. And God's heart is grieved over that, that we would be so enamored with the things of the world that we would forget our Heavenly Father is the only one we really need to live to please. The last part of the verse says, God has prepared something for those who desire Him more than the pleasures and treasures and the comforts of this world. It says, He has prepared a city for them. I don't really like cities. I'm a country boy. There's nothing to hunt in the city. But God has prepared a city for them. You say, what in the world is he talking about? Well, let's close down these verses with this truth. God is talking about the new Jerusalem described in Revelation 21. And it's an inheritance for all those who love God and are born again and whose name is in the Lamb's book of life. When we go into the presence of God, eventually we're going to wind up in the new Jerusalem with all the believers of all time that loved God and served God. Amen. The wicked are going to be gone. They're going to be dealt with. The devil's going to be in the abyss, in the pit, and there's going to be no more sin. There's going to be no more temptation. There's going to be none of that, no more tears. And we're going to all live together in this city. Listen to the description of it in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people, and his, he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. The inheritance that is stored up for us is a new city. It's our final destination, and it's a gift to us from God. Abraham found it when he rejected the pleasures and treasures of this world and considered himself an exile here. You and I find it when we reject the pleasures and treasures of this world and we make Jesus our number one. Someday we'll be with him forever. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. Father, we just thank you tonight for your word and for these verses, and we thank you for the Hall of Fame of Faith. And Father, we want to live in a way and exercise our faith in a way that makes you proud to be our God, that we can cry, Abba, Father, and we can bring a smile to your face. Father, we know we're all sinners saved by grace, and we need so much grace every day. But Lord, help us to live in such a way that's pleasing to you, that you would not be ashamed to be called our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give him